0: So, hello everyone. And welcome back uh, to another show of getting goosebumps. Today, I'm joined by Lars Schmidt from Amplify Talent. Thanks for joining us today, Lars. Yeah, Brian. Thanks for having me. Really good to uh, to talk to you today, Lars. And um, just for the uh, just to kick us off, you've got quite an interesting um, journey that got uh, you to where you are today. Can you um, share your story with the audience?
1: Yeah, so I uh, you know, I started my career in agency recruiting uh way back in the the dot com 1.0 days. Um spent some time working for some startups in New York and Los Angeles and then uh then went in-house. And so the next, you know, decade of my career, I spent running global recruiting teams for companies like uh Ticketmaster and Magento and uh most recently uh National Public Radio, uh NPR, which is a, a media company. Based in Washington D.C., primarily North American, but uh, with international bureaus, and uh, did that for three years before leaving to start my own firm, Amplify Talent, about uh, two and a half years ago, and then also uh, co found the HR open source uh, movement, which we launched last year.
0: Well, I'm, I, I want to talk to you more about the HR uh, open source. That's uh, I went to the opening in in London, but you guys you guys are trucking along nicely now, but. Um, well let's, co- let's come back to that, uh, last because I'm really interested um, about the NPR campaign and your, your time there. Because um, was it the first ever uh, culture hashtag? Is that what you said earlier when we were off?
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, so we launched NPR Life um, there, which I believe is actually the first uh, culture-based hashtag um, that uh, that came out. And now it's become a fairly common practice in employer branding. But uh, we were uh, we were one of the pioneers, if not the pioneer, in, in putting that one out there, and it really uh, transformed how we were able to recruit, and, and really more importantly, I think, share the story of what it's like to work at NPR through employees' voices with the outside world to, to really help people um, either you know opt in or out in a more informed way.
0: Wow, and you know, laws. On this show, I talk to many people in marketing, um, business leaders, all the rest of it. I'm starting to talk to more people in talent because, well, quite frankly, storytelling, I think, is um, becoming more and more sort of prevalent, if not more and more important as well. You've, um, you've done a lot with, with storytelling in your career already. Where do you see um, good purpose-told stories fitting into to what you do?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Recruiting has evolved a lot over the last couple of years. Um, I think historically it's been a fairly transactional experience. So, you know, you're a company, you're looking to hire X people, uh, you put up job ads, you maybe go to job boards. A lot of what you do is, is kind of posting things externally um, that are oftentimes pretty sterile and, uh, and hoping the right people apply. And uh, that's just not, that approach doesn't work anymore. It's, it's an, it's an outdated approach. I think we live in a world now where consumers um, you know, job seekers are consumers. Um, They're, they're looking for their next opportunity. They're much more savvy. Um, They do research on an organization like you would research a product that you're, or a service you're going to buy. And so what they find when they do that oftentimes will, will steer whether they decide to pursue your company or not. And to me, you know, effective employee storytelling is really at the heart of how successful companies are positioning themselves in that kind of a world. Because when you're doing that, you're able to really kind of share the authentic truths of what it's like to work at your organization and allow prospects to make more informed decisions as to how they align or don't, you know, with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And from your perspective, Lars, what's the most effective story that you've seen attached to an employer brand? Um, and then and then i'd love to sort of get your input on how, how does somebody go about that for the first time where to look for them how to structure them how to recreate some authentic magic you know so so let's start what's the best example that you've seen
1: yeah you know i think the best examples tend to be ones that are unfiltered um so i think you, you it's pretty easy to spot uh what I call kind of manufactured employer branding, which is you know employer branding that may be run through marketing or legal and or all the above. and it's uh, it's a oftentimes a uh, diverse representation of employees uh, spouting the advantages and pluses, and amazing culture of what an organization may have. And that you know, candidates can see through that yeah. oftentimes, I think uh, what what i what I find compelling is real. Real unfiltered storytelling. It's just employees sharing some of their employee. and that may be as simple as an Instagram post um, talking about a project they're working on. Uh, I, I you know one of the things that I've been really enjoying lately is there are some companies that are starting to get more involved in audio storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I mean audio, there, there's a certain intimacy with audio that I think no other medium captures. And and an example that kind of stands out to me um at Hootsuite, and full disclosure, they were a client of mine, so I work with them a little bit on this. But they uh they started a, a storytelling lab on SoundCloud. And so they they had employees kind of come and share one of their stories. And, and one that just stands out to me is one of their heads of uh, BizDev back years ago when they were a scrappy startup, he got a call from somebody at HBO to talk to them about uh, looking for social media support on a, a new show they were launching. And it was a fantasy show and it had several – it was based on books and there was a certain following to it. But they didn't really know if that was going to translate to TV or not. And, you know, halfway through the conversation, it's Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's now a global phenomenon that everybody knows. And so just – I mean that was a personal story. is an intimate story. Um, but it to me, it kind of – it illuminated the kind of work that's done there. The kind of experience that an individual might have there, and there is something really powerful about that. Oh yeah, I, it's
0: brilliant. I've I've seen the um, I don't know whether you've seen the the case study on uh, the Game of Thrones transmedia storytelling uh, campaign. Um, have, have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's phenomenal, and basically, it's a really good example of, of storytelling because they even end up recreating the the food, the menu that's in those the original Game of Thrones books, in order to engage with people to you know hit the streets of New York and, and t- like literally taste it and smell it and all the rest of it. So, it's um, it's it's incredible, isn't it? But the the authenticity piece comes up quite quite a lot, Lars. You know. Um, And I agree with what you said there about um, it's usually a very diverse group of people um, talking about the the benefits and the wonderful times at an organization. Do you think that's that's disingenuous or do you think that it's just they've manufactured or gone about it wrong? Because, um, I mean, a good story has always got uh, friction and adversity and problems and issues. A lot of the time, these shiny... Stories—they're not even stories, right? Because they're all just positive. Is—is is it you no? Know, is, is it yeah? Is, is it the mindset, or I, I don't know.
1: You know, I think I think in some cases it's probably a bit disingenuous, and in those ones I think it's really obvious because you can just cross-reference uh, a company's glassdoor reviews with how they're presenting themselves and realize there's there's some big delta there. Um, for other companies, though, I think it's maybe just naivete around employer branding. You know, they a lot of people will look at employer branding and get really hung up on the notion of talent attraction. So how do we position ourselves in a better light? to help more people want to come work for us. And that's a component to employer branding, but great employer branding is actually both attracting and repelling. Because ultimately (laughs) you want people to be able to see, you know, what your organization and your culture is like warts and all, and make a decision whether that aligns with their own interests and work styles um, better. And if all you're doing is selling the positive and maybe the positive is accurate, but that's all you're selling then there may be some negative aspects of that work environment that you're burying. um, And that could be an absolute turnoff to somebody you're trying to hire. And so because they don't see that in the interview process, they show up on day one and they're like, wait a minute, what about this? Like, I didn't hear anything about this. And ultimately they're going to leave. And that becomes a lot more uh, costly for organizations because now you've spent – you know, months oftentimes getting somebody in, you've turned away your other candidates, you've, you've onboarded them, you've trained them, um, they haven't, you know, reached the peak of training where they're now ultimately productive, and then they leave. And you're starting that process all over again, only because you you kind of buried the balance in your employer brand and only focused on the positives.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a brilliant point, you know. And I guess, I mean, it's it's why like there's there's movie genres, right? You know, and I don't like I don't like horror movies for some reason. I just can't watch horror movies, but I like a good comedy and this that, and the other. And I know what I like. And uh, you know, um, I guess um, I guess with talent and recruitment, there's this sort of thing of pass and fail, where really is it not more about is it a good fit? And it's, you know, the balance should be equal. And if we're transparent, then we find out whether it's a good fit. Is, is that, is that what you say?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, very few companies will be completely transparent. And I get that. And I think that's probably not, you know, not even realistic to ask, but I think I use the term translucent a lot. You, you want people <laughs> okay. to be able to see enough into your organization to make an informed decision. And, you know, there's no company, you know, Disney World, Great place, right? Happiest place on earth, and but it's not necessarily the best place to work. It's not the easiest environment to work, Um and so if you're making your your assumptions solely based on Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse, you're not. You know, you you may be making the wrong choice, and and you know, uh, there is other examples of this where even even a company like Amazon, which you know, I know you you've covered in your podcast before, they had a story that came out in New York Times that was you know, scathing about their environment. And then they had other companies come to the, you know, to the defense. And I think that ultimately what, what through both sides of that, they were able to do is to present a pretty accurate view of what it's like to work there. And it's not for everyone. And and that's okay. And I I think when you look at uh, a company that did some work with last year's company, um, Elon Musk company, SpaceX. Um, And, you know, they exist to colonize Mars, right? Like you don't have a higher lofty goal and ambition than that. That's not done easily. Like it's a Herculean work environment. You, it is intense. You are going to work a lot of hours. And so one of the things that we did there is we, you know, they took some heat on Glassdoor because people talked about the hours being intense and the environment being, uh, you know, being hardcore because of just the, the intensity of what's being the work being done. And we reframe that to say, okay, we'll own that. Like it is intense you are going to work a lot of hours. You know, this isn't the kind of place you're necessarily going to go for work-life balance. But what we're trying to do is change the future of mankind. <laughs> so if that is something that you want to do, this is the type of work that's required to do that. And, and I think just in that simple shift in kind of owning the warts, right, it, not yeah. not hiding from them, not running from them, it allowed people to understand why the work environment is that way, and ultimately make more informed decisions about whether they can sacrifice some work life balance to be able to achieve, you know, play a role in an organization that's doing something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, the Marines um, 99.99% people need not apply, you know, in the same way. The bar is so high, like, forget about it unless. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. But what about the brands, Lars, that have? that are that have a lot of value um, and they've got some great stories to tell, but they aren't storifying their communications they're, they're not using story um, to full effect i mean what's your advice when you when you go in um, just to help organizations not even change their message but just to just to communicate their message better?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think for you know companies well i'll take a bit of a different approach. Some of them may want to develop a formal e v p and, or you know employer value proposition to, uh, to not get jargoning on you. Uh, and, and they'll use that as the basis and foundation for their employer brand. Others may feel that already exists you know or a lightweight version of that that they don't necessarily need to formalize it and it's more about activation. And so I think for companies that are in the early stages, one it's kind of finding out who are your internal uh, advocates and ambassadors. right So not all employees are going to be willing or interested to, to be storytellers. For your brand, and and that's okay. I think that uh, the biggest mistake brands can make is to try to force their employees to do that because it's not going to be authentic. They're going to resent it, and uh, you know, frankly, you you may be creating a morale issue um, between your staff. But I think if you find identify your employees that are active on blogs or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or wherever else, and look to start with them, because I think what you'll also find is if you're developing these types of campaigns and and they're spread organically, meaning there isn't some big mandate from HR recruiting to say, go and tweet this and go and blog about this. But they see some of their peers who they respect in the organization doing that. The chances of them then following that lead are actually much greater. And that, that's actually how the NPR life hashtag spread, um, much to my I originally wanted to do that big kind of HR push and I got shot down by marketing, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad I did because it would have failed. Um, but what we did is I got permission to pilot it with a small group of employees. And so I had been cultivating this um, kind of internal social branding influencer group within NPR who I had come to with ideas on things. And so I started with them and I said, Hey, would you consider using this hashtag if you're tweeting about things in the employee experience? And, and they did, and their peers saw them doing that. And so they started doing it and so so it ultimately it never formally launched. Technically, that get paid five years on is still in pilot because we never officially <laughs> launched it. But because people saw their peers doing it, they wanted to participate, and and that kind of organic growth I found to be the most successful way to drive adoption.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's another parallel with marketing. You know, user generated content is seen as you know the holy grail in, in marketing. It's so, certainly so valuable. And you know, when when we then start to sort of transition over to more uh, digital attraction, um, so storytelling for a slightly different purpose. Now, this is storytelling to be heard above a lot of noise, Lars. So maybe yep. there is a little bit more orchestration needed and, and coordination for a brand to get their brand message out. Yep. Um, what what do you what do you think are the sort of key ingredients to be heard above the noise yet remain authentic?
1: Yeah, I think looking at different. So it's it's hard to do that on a platform like Twitter, or or Snapchat, even right where it's uh it, you're obviously constrained by uh you know either the length that a post will remain online or the the length of what the content you're able to share. I think blogging tends to be something, or perhaps even video, um, tends to be ways that employees. Can and employers can do that and kind of empower their employees to have a voice in ways that can gain real traction? And uh, you know, even a recent example, one of the we talked a little bit about HR open source. The, the most recent case study we had was from a uh, HR technology company called Lever, based in the Bay Area, and they were you know going through rapid growth like most startups in the Bay, and uh, they really decided to have a focus on on empowering and training their employees to be storytellers and And really, you know, giving them the prompting to go out there and and you know they, what they call blog in the wild, so you know they <laughs> wow. didn't they didn't constrain everything to their own corporate blog. They said, "Hey, if you want to be on Tumblr medium, if you get picked up by a third party in a channel, that's great, but uh you know just go out there and share your story and it's fascinating they they shared some of the results of um of hiring based on doing that in particular in diversity hiring, and they had you know one of their their most trafficked stories was one of their uh, female um, sales representatives blogging about why there needed to be more females in software sales. Really? And that went you know completely viral. I think uh, Inc. picked it up, and they did a survey, and they found that – and they have incredible diversity numbers for the Bay Area, um, but they found that a lot of their recent hires were actually influenced by blogs, by employee blogs. Really? And them sharing their experience. And so that's – I mean that's a concrete example of how empowered storytelling – um, can have a positive impact on recruiting, and even more specifically, in this case, diversity recruiting.
0: Yeah, and, and do you think that was, well, I guess it was a mixture of the authenticity of a member of staff writing that rather than a leader or a marketing department, but also, was it because it was in a little bit more longer form so it could get more sort of rich content in there is some yeah
1: problem. yeah i think it was both i mean i think obviously the authenticity piece is to me why it likely resonated the way it did with audience um but ultimately you know it's hard to get that in short form you know it's hard to get that in a photo it's hard to get that in um you know audio you maybe can but audio is a more difficult platform because you have to be the the receiver has to be in a position where they're ready to consume it which, you know, for an average person going about their day, they may not always have access to headphones or or be in an environment where they can listen. Everybody can read. We're all on our devices all day. We're in front of a computer all day. We're checking our mobile devices 150 times a day, right? So the, the opportunity to get in front of somebody with longer form content is there. And so if you're able to, and particularly in their case where they actually provided training around storytelling, um, so that, that people were able to compose and weave more effective and compelling stories. Um, I think that's, that's their secret sauce. Well, I, I
0: might have to reach out to, um, to leave That sounds like a hell of a story in itself. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. So the, the, the case study breaks down exactly what they did, how they did it, the, uh, the metrics and results, um, their failures and their key learning. So, um, uh, yeah, that would be a great one to check out. I'm happy to connect you with the folks over there to learn more.
0: Oh, wow. That, that would be cool. That, that would be really cool, Lars. So, so Lars, tell me now about um, HR Open Source, because this is a great story in itself.
1: Yeah, so uh, HR Open Source is something that we launched last year, myself and the uh, the co-founder, Ambrosia Vertesi. Um, at that time, she was ahead head of people at Hootsuite and uh, had been a friend of mine for years and, and actually engaged my firm to work with them on some branding initiatives And we were just having a conversation around the the kind of growing gap between the, the leaders and the laggards in the global HR community and how there's a lot of incredible work being done, but it's hard for some practitioners to access it and know where to find it. And so we tried looking at other industries to see where innovation was happening and where innovation and education in particular were happening at a rapid pace. And ultimately, we landed on open source software. And this idea of contributing code bases for the greater good of the software field, so that other people can reuse them and not have to code it, and ultimately refine it, make it better, and then contribute it back to the community. And so, you know, we we kind of you know opined and wondered if that model could work in the field of HR. And so we uh, we were fortunate that uh, you know Hootsuite bought into it, and so they allowed us to pilot it uh, at Hootsuite for five months. We developed five case studies. And found that there was a huge appetite for the content, and so we spun it out into the wild in October of last year. Um, we actually uh we gave the opening client keynote at linkedin's global conference um kind of presenting it out to the world and you know to date it's grown to over thirteen hundred members around the world. We just published our sixteenth case study um and it's really becoming this you know our aim in this is to to transform the field of h r to make the field of h r more Innovative, more collaborative, um, and more inspired um, by creating free access to to practitioner contributed case studies um, that can really make individual practitioners more kind of informed and educated around what's possible and what they can do in their own company.
0: Wow, that's just it's absolutely it's absolutely phenomenal that you've taken that concept of open source coding. And the community, and the adding value, and all the rest of it. Because, I mean, I guess it's amazing that that concept hasn't been used in lots of other vertical markets or um, or, or sectors as, as well, right? Because it just seems obvious when you described it there, Lars.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Since we've been on this journey, I've I've been you know attempting to be as much of a student as I can just about open source, and you're starting to see it in more from architecture to education. Um, you know, that approach, and, and I agree with you, it, it makes it seems dead simple, but it's just something that hasn't necessarily um, scaled, you know, heavily beyond software. And I think we're starting to see more of that. And, and for us, you know, we, in the field of HR, particularly in recruiting, you know, we're we're kind of indoctrinized to believe that there's this war for talent, and that that means that there, there's only room for cutthroat competition, and no, cal- no collaboration. And, you know, we call bullet BS on that. We we think that we're both fiercely competitive. I mean, Ambrosia was a, a national wrestling champion in Canada. I mean, she always made the Olympic team, so she she's certainly competitive. But I think both of us are are equal points competitive and collaborative. And when we first spun this out. We had a feeling that there'd probably be a lot of people that would feel that same way, but we didn't really know how the community would receive it until we did. And, and we're, you know, we just went over 1300, um, members around the world and we're really seeing this message connect. Um, with practitioners and people that, that do believe that collaboration is actually the way to, to make this field better. And, and, uh, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to see more of it. And, and we're not the only ones. So even looking at Google, Google has their rework initiative, for example, where they yeah. share Google-specific practices um, that they use and their clients use. So I, I think that we're starting to see this tide kind of shift from war for talent to an idea where we can both compete and collaborate and, uh, and, and make everybody better in doing so. Yeah, brilliant. I mean,
0: I think I think what you're doing is really uh, inspiring a lot of people, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I think if you are brave enough to call BS on on anything. Uh, you tend to get people's attention you know but um and and you certainly have however you've also then gone to the trouble and time and resource to fly all around the world and and hold physically hold these meetups all over the place um so so you're committed to this right
1: Absolutely. I mean, we uh, we just had our launch event in Sydney, um, Australia, uh, two nights ago. Um, We had the same in London uh, uh, last month, which I believe you were you were at as well. Uh, Certainly was. uh, You know, we'll be doing Stockholm later this month, and and we've got you know we're we're still kind of speaking all around the world at HR uh, conferences specifically, um, but also really empowering the community to get involved. And what's been great about this? I mean, right now this is an all volunteer. Effort. So, you know, what's been really inspiring to us is seeing, uh, and Ambrej and, and I kind of, we talk about this regularly, like every week, I'll get an email from a practitioner in India, or Poland, or Berlin, or Quebec, all around the world saying, uh, I connect with this, I believe in this, we need this, I want to help. Um, how can I be your kind of boots on the ground in my city? To help spread awareness of this. And that's just, that's incredible, right? Because we, especially in a volunteer effort, you know, you don't have a lot of resources and budget to invest in, in local ground operations. And so the fact that we've had so many people of the, uh, you know, 700 registered members, half of them also registered to volunteer their time. Um, so I I think we're, we're connecting with this people on a very deep level that, uh, really mirrors our own kind of passionate commitment towards this. And, and that's, what's really inspiring. Yeah. And you know,
0: there's an element of natural selection there you just touched on, you know, it's like-minded people coming together to, to achieve stuff by sharing their stories, which I just think is fantastic. Absolutely. absolutely. So, So, so Lars, um, before you go, tell us, uh, Tell the audience exactly where they can go to find out more about HROS and um, how they can get involved and and maybe be some of their feet on the ground for you.
1: Yeah, so um, you can go to hros.co. That's the the main digital hub, um, and you'll find everything there. So we have a section on case studies. We have a section on community where you can access all of our social channels, um, Facebook, Twitter, and the HROS hashtag. Uh, We have curated resources, over 100 free resources for practitioners ranging from sourcing to branding to even inspiration, um, and so everything is centralized there. From there, you can also join uh, the initiative. You can also go to hros.clo/slash/join uh, if you just want to jump right in. But feel free to browse beforehand. And everything on the site is free, so there's no paywall. Uh, there never will be. You'll be able to access everything there in perpetuity. We'll continue adding. Uh, and if you want to contribute a case study, if your company is willing to share and open your playbook, um, there's specific directions on how to do that as well. Wow,
0: brilliant, brilliant. Well, thanks so much for spending the time to speak to me today. Lars, it's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, Brian, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and you can always find me at AmplifyTalent.com.
0: Great. Well, I certainly uh, encourage everybody to, to reach out, check out HR. OS, um, and check out Amplify Talent as well because Lars is doing some incredible stuff uh, over there. Well, great, that's it for another week, guys. Join me again next week for more purpose-told business stories, trip tricks, tips, and advice.